Good morning. This is the time I understand we're supposed to dismiss kids to their uh, sessions and teenagers as well. Uh, so please feel free to make your way to those various places. As you do that, let me welcome folks who may be joining us online this morning and watching our live stream through the website. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. And uh, let me introduce myself as well. My name is George Johnson. I am the executive uh, director uh, of the Christian Evangelistic Association. In fact, actually, as I hear myself give that introduction, I have to, already I have to correct myself um, because as of January, I am now the associate director. We have a full-time uh, executive director who's taken my role, and uh, now um, I have a part-time role with the organization, and that affords me this summer to be up here in Fairbanks and with all of you, and uh, stepping in for in the big shoes of Derek Dickinson. So, uh, been a blessing I've been looking forward to, glad to be here, drove up from Seattle where my home is, and uh, had a beautiful trip up, saw bears and sights and all kinds of things, uh, both in Western Canada and here in Alaska, so uh, just really glad to be to be here. Um, I'm I'm making the transition. Uh, I've had a bit of a technology issue here, which um, Perry is going to fix for me. But uh, usually I have hard copy notes, and today I'm working off my computer screen, uh, which we're on a speaking basis, but it's not really warm and friendly. I'll just say that. Uh, so, uh, but I think I got it. You, most of you in the room are too young to have seen the premiere of the television series Father Knows Best. It actually started in 1954. It ran for six seasons, 203 episodes, but it was the characterization of what uh, at that time in the late 50s and 60s was believed to be uh, an ideal American family. And so the Andersons, Jim and Margaret, uh, their children, Bud, Betty, and Kathy, were portrayed as the ideal family. And uh, it, it, uh, it was a good program, uh, different than a lot of programming today, but there's since then been a succession right down to today of family comedy series. One you may know better that was uh, a little more recent than that. By just a few years, it actually started in 1957, was Leave it to Beaver. Uh, anybody see the original airing of those episodes? 1957 to 1963, 234 some episodes. You'll remember the Beave, uh, typical kid, and his brother Wally, uh, his mom, uh, June, and his dad, Ward. And Ward was the father who was always supposed to be dispensing wisdom and uh, sage advice, uh, sometimes not so much. Usually, I mean, quite honestly, guys, uh, even though it's Father's Day, I just, just to uh, uh, full disclosure, as it was June, in my opinion, that generally had her bearings and not always so much <laughs> uh, Ward. Uh, that's how it happens in my house, too. Uh, it's my wife, Dottie, who usually uh, has... Uh, has the grounding, and sometimes George is in left field. Um, and I have six children who would be here today to tell you amen uh, if, if I gave them that opportunity. 
Dottie and I, as I say, live in Seattle. We have six children. Uh, we have 16 grandchildren. And uh, I thought I just, in the first service, I, this occurred to me uh, belatedly, but some of you guys in the room I know are, you're anticipating being a grandparent at some point. And I, I just, I'd like to give you a little warning about that. I just feel obligated. I, I was under the the misperception that once my children were raised, that life got easier and less expensive, particularly. And, and the truth of the matter is, fellows, is that my life is much more expensive with grandchildren in the equation than it ever was with my kids. I don't, I don't know how that happened, but I could just, it just happened. Um, I'm working on the word no with my wife and their grandmother, but she really doesn't know that word. I don't think it's in in whatever vocabulary grandmothers have, no, it's not one of those words. Uh, my kids complain because my wife and I buy things for their children that they never had growing up. And uh, I basically just tell them they weren't that cute. If they had been, uh, I might have made those sacrifices. But uh, today on Father's Day, to you uh, men and fathers who are here, thank you. Thank you for the investment in your children. And uh, thank you for your commitment, especially you who are Christian fathers, your commitment to be an example of Christ. What a a great thing. Um, I want to take you this morning into uh, Matthew chapter 6. It's part of the Sermon on the Mount, but it's Jesus teaching the disciples to pray. I think that's a great start to frame uh, the the, uh, point I want to make this morning on Father's Day in essence, to emphasize that certainly in an earthly plane, today is our day to honor fathers uh, here in this life and on this earth. But Jesus calls us in Matthew 6, verse 19, to look heavenward and to see our heavenly Father as the one who gives us true identity. And so we're going to go there uh, in just a moment. But before we start that, I just want to uh, make a mention. I had kind of a nostalgic moment last night right here uh, in the auditorium at Journey. Some of you might have been here. We had a great event. Uh, Sean Reynolds was here, Christian comedian, did a great program. It was all a benefit for the Crisis Pregnancy Center. It took me back uh, about 18 years, I think, to the beginning of Journey uh, when it first was launched. And I, uh, 18 years ago, I stepped off the plane here in Fairbanks, uh, if, I, if I didn't explain this, my role with the Christian Evangelistic Association is to oversee a church planting network that spans the Northwest. But I will tell you that Journey, Fairbanks, is the, by far the farthest north uh, new church that we've had a pleasure in, in being a part of. And so I met Derek in Delhi, and uh, Derek invited me to come up as he was making plans for the very first service of the church, which was held at the Regal Cinema. How many of you in the room attended sometime a service at the Regal Cinema when Journey was there? Ten years they were there, yeah, yeah. Uh, in fact, those of you in the room, you probably don't miss the Regal Cinema. Uh, there was a lot of work uh, with that. The Journey truck, which I, I've been told the Journey truck still lives, that it's, it's still somewhere uh, rolling around Fairbanks. But we fitted that truck out in Seattle uh, and uh, then helped get it shipped up here and had equipment, uh, as we called it then, church in a box, had uh, amplification equipment, everything for communion, which sometimes froze in the back of the truck in the winter. 
uh, just all kinds of things. So it's so nice to be in this building. But last night I was here, and I was remembering back to that trip uh, 18 years ago. I got off the plane. Derek said to me, uh, I've got an appointment, and I want you to go with me. I said, great, where are we going? He said, well, and then he unpacked this idea. He said, what I want to do as we're starting the church is I want to hold a Christian comedy night. I want to invite everybody to come. It'll be free. And uh, uh, like to, at, that, at the conclusion of that program, invite them all to the Regal Cinema the next day. And so uh, he said, what do you think? I said, well, I, I think that's the craziest idea that I've heard in quite a while. Um, but, but it's great. Where, where are you thinking of holding this? And he said, the busiest bar in Fairbanks, the Silver Spur Saloon. And, and he said, what do you think of that? And again, I said, that is now the second craziest idea uh, that I've heard, Derek, but I'm with you. I'll go. So we went and we met with Bob, who owned the Silver Spur. And uh, we sat down with Bob and a young woman who scheduled all of his programs. And Derek unpacked this idea. Uh, and then he asked Bob, what do you think? We were asking to meet in his bar. And there was a long silence. And I, frankly, I, I had never been in a bar to that point. And more to the point, I had never been thrown out of a bar to that point. And I kind of looked around, because usually there's some burly guys in the room, you know, who handle security and toss people who are uh, off, uh, out of sync with the culture. They toss them out the door. And so I was looking around over my shoulder. I didn't see anybody. Bob draws a long breath, and he, he leans back, big smile. He says, well, he says, I like your idea. He says, uh, and we could do it here. And then he, said, he asked us a question. He said, have you ever heard of the book, The Purpose Driven Life? Huh. Yeah, I had heard of it. I'd read it. Rick Warren's best-selling book of more than 20 years ago. I didn't expect Bob knew anything about it. And uh, he went on to tell us that he'd been given that book a couple weeks before our appointment. And uh, reading it through, he got the message, which if you've read that book, if you haven't, I'd encourage you to get a copy. But if you read the book, you know the first lines. Rick Warren starts out pretty abruptly and simply says it's not about you. He's talking about identity in Christ. It's it's about him. He's talking about where Jesus is going to take us this morning in the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven. But Bob said, I, I read that. I was stunned. First time in my life I'd come to that reality. And so he said, just there on my own reading that book, I prayed to God, if you'll have me, I, I'll be a part of your kingdom. And then he said, the last couple of weeks, we've been trying to, I've been talking to my staff when, on Sundays, those who weren't already scheduled to work a shift, we've been going visiting churches together. And uh, so he says, I think it's great that you want to start a new church here in the bar, and then uh, get, get started at the Regal Cinema. So last night, for me, it was a little nostalgic. Uh, here we were, Christian comedy night, and uh, benefit for the, for the uh, Crisis Pregnancy Center, which that was, uh, that was also part of that original service, but it, it was just fun. And uh, what a great story Journey Church is. What a great work, Derek and Deli Dickinson and their family, and you who've been with them. I've met few of you uh, who've been here since, uh, since the beginning, since the genesis of Journey, uh, just an incredible story. So uh, blessings on all of you for that. Thank you for the privilege of being here. I'm, I'm here all summer. For some of you, that'll be good news and others not so much. Uh, but uh, I'm standing in for Derek and uh, just pleased to do that. Glad for him to have a break and a rest and uh, to, to kind of retool some of his, uh, some of his 
tools and work as your pastor. Where I want to take you this morning in the scripture is, as I say, to Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 9. And Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He goes on with the balance of that prayer. You may know it by heart. It's a simple little prayer. But what I want to focus in on this morning is his beginning. Because he, he makes the point that our identity, our identity today, thinking as fathers, our identity as men and women, uh, as people, our identity is in acknowledging on the vertical access that God is our Father. Recently, a friend of mine who's also a pastor and a preacher pointed out to me, he asked me what I was preaching on this first Sunday with you here at Journey, and I told him uh, the Lord's Prayer, and he said, have you ever noticed that that prayer has no statement of I or me or my? And I had never stopped to think about that, but he's right. Instead, it looks to heaven, to where God's seated on the throne and address, and Jesus addresses him, our Father. That's a humbling acknowledgement for 21st century American Christians steeped in a self-centered individual culture. Yes, that's Fairbanks, Alaska. Yes, that's Seattle, Washington, where I live. Yes, that's our world. By the way, I, I do have to admit really glad to be up here. Seattle is a great place to be from right now, uh, as opposed to being there. Uh, I, when I leave, remember my name, pray for me, George on the mission field in Seattle. Uh, if you've got family there, if you've come down to visit, uh, Seattle is uh, it, it's a wild place, and some days it's quite a sad place. Uh, it's a place where the culture is in your face, and where the reality of our self-centeredness is, is right there, front and center. But Jesus, as he's speaking to the disciples and to you and I here, he makes it clear that our identity is not in me. It's not in George. It's, it's not in my. It's not ultimately, life is not about me, but it's about him. So Rick Warren was right. It's not about you. That's the simple message that I have for you this morning. And uh, I, would, I would make this addition uh, and, ju- and just say quite bluntly here that if you're here this morning and you have yet to embrace Jesus as your Lord and your Savior, uh, I, there's nothing else I'm going to say in the next few minutes that, that would be in any way an addition to that invitation to you. I believe that's why you're here this morning. I believe that's what God is saying to your heart. I believe that's the invitation he's made to you probably more than once, but certainly this morning, for you to yield your life, for you to look up, not in the mirror, not at your accomplishments, not in the rearview mirror where you come from, but rather at him, at our Father, and acknowledge that in him is your identity. Make him the Lord of your life. So that's my simple invitation. If you get that, you, you got it this morning. If you get that, there isn't anything additional that I would tell you that it's certainly nothing that's more important. God wants your identity to be in him. Identity is important in our world. I brought a couple pieces with me. Uh, I brought my 
Washington State driver's license with me. That gets me access to a lot of things. Uh, I'm hoping it gets me access back into my own home country uh, when I go through Canada again and into the U.S. I, I have friends oftentimes who want to visit Canada, and they say, can you get into Canada without a driver's license? Yes, you absolutely can. But that's not the question. The question is, do you want to go home? The question is, do your wife and family want to see you again in your life? Then in that case, yeah, I'd be sure that you have a driver's license, now an enhanced driver's license, so you can clearly identify who you are. There's no question. That's a piece of my, an important piece of my identity. Another piece of my identity, and I, I kind of, I'm chagrined to admit this, but my, my cell phone is part of my identity now. In fact, it's, my phone is set up so that it recognizes my face. And it's gotten so sensitive that if I take off my glasses, it no longer recognizes me and, like my laptop, refuses to have a conversation with me. That's a bit frustrating. <laughs> but it's my identity. There are all kinds of information in my cell phone that give me access and uh, give me identification. It's a part of our world. On a national level, the U.S. flag is a symbol of identity. Property or people that stand under that flag are identified by their flag, and we affirm our allegiance to it. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. That's my identity as an American citizen. I was glad to visit Canada. Uh, there's a lot of beautiful things about northwestern Canada. My mom's whole side of the family is from the interior of British Columbia, uh, so that was part of my trip coming up. I stopped and saw those things, but I'm so glad uh, that my identity is the United States of America. On another level, farmers and ranchers have always branded their cattle and their horses to provide identity so that those animals, that stock is identified with, uh, with their ranch or their business. Those are all aspects of human identity and identity in our world, but spiritually, on an even higher level, God makes it clear that our identity needs to be in him. And that's where we're going to go. If you're, if you're a person who likes to um, fill in the blanks, I provided you with a short outline. And uh, I'm going to give you three key words that are part of how God identifies us in the next few minutes here. The first of those is that God identifies his son. And we find it distinctively in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. In the New Testament, Isaiah 7 says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with a child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. So Jesus is identified as the son of God. And the prophet Isaiah later on uh, in Isaiah 9 Verse 6 and 7, it's there on your outline. To us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he'll be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. That's who Jesus is. And he's the Son of God. So God identifies his Son in the Old Testament. Other places we could go to and won't take the time for this morning, but if you're interested, Psalm 22 is a detailed account. Remember, this was prophecy thousands of years before Jesus lived and, and was crucified, died, and risen. Thousands of years before, Psalm 22 was written 
to detail his crucifixion right right down from the soldiers casting of lots for his robe right down to his desperate cry on the cross my god my god why have you forsaken me uh, isaiah 53 is another old testament passage that tells that a miraculous child will be crucified on a cross for the sins of the world for that dumpster that guys spoke about uh, that whole plan with the dumpster so eloquently explained to us that's been god's plan since the beginning of time uh, and, and he's known that, expected that, anticipated that, and been ready uh, to deliver Jesus to suffer and die in that way. So the Old Testament foretells of Christ being God's Son. It identifies Jesus. The New Testament, as well, identifies Jesus. The angels announce the birth of Joseph and Mary, uh, the, the birth to Joseph and Mary, and to the shepherds. At Jesus' baptism is another place in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit is described as coming down in the form of a dove. And God, who speaks and says, This is my Son, whom I love. With Him I am well pleased. It's undeniable verification. Even better than the good housekeeping seal of approval on your tube of toothpaste. Here's, here's divine proof that Jesus is the real thing. He, he is the essence of God come to earth in human form. And then uh, another passage, uh, which is in the New Testament, is in Matthew 27, uh, when it describes how the curtain of the temple was torn in two, not from bottom to top, like you and I would do if there was a curtain here today and we were asked to tear it, we'd grab it at the bottom and split it from bottom to top. But the curtain of the temple, when Jesus was crucified, was torn in two, literally, by God, top to bottom, demonstrating that our Father is not on this earth uh, acting, but rather He is in heaven. So God identifies His Son, but that's not all. He also identifies His children, and this is the part that should be especially important to you and I. John, 1 John 3, verse 1 says, How great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. You have some doubts sometimes in your faith. You have some questions about this Christian life. You have some misgivings, especially when you're looking in the mirror at the source of your failures. 1 John 3, 1, great encouragement. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God. You're not going to change your name, but rather you have the assurance of God that His grace is sufficient to cover your life, to cover your sins, to cover whatever uh, pieces or parts or seasons or acts in your past that have separated you from Him. The grace of God, and more specifically through the blood of Christ, is sufficient. So we're identified as God's children. Galatians 4, 6 says, Because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. That's how God has made us his children, because he sends his spirit into us. Now, that can't happen until we've been forgiven by the grace of God. But once that happens, it qualifies us to receive the spirit of God. And then Galatians 5.22 talks about that, the fruits of that spirit. And these things should be evident in your life. Love, joy, peace, patience, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. And if you got all those then here's one to struggle with, self-control. 
That's the evidence of the Spirit. And there's no limit. That's, that's what the phrase means. Against such things there is no law. There's no limit to how great God can be growing in your life. Uh, that's why a guy could stand here and tell us about five, five children, I think you said, guy, and uh, years as a father, uh, and yet he, he humbly tells us, I'm still working on growing. Uh, what a great story. Dave Wilcoxon said that too from the platform here this morning. I'm still growing. I'm not perfect. Uh, Dad, we know you're not perfect. I'm not perfect. We're not perfect. None of us are. Here's the good news is you're here in a church with a bunch of other dads who also are not perfect. In fact, I just maybe this needs to be said here at Journey But if you came here looking for the perfect church, please do not, under any circumstances, join Journey Church, because you're going to ruin it, really, because this is not a perfect church. In fact, this is a church that's always been marked by the grace of God. Uh, Speaking of badges of honor, I'm not sure about dumpster diving in the Arctic Games, guy. I have to look into that a little bit more. That's an interesting thought. But I think badges of honor in terms of the church here is we certainly... We certainly are a company of people who are, we're like the, the island of misfit toys, aren't we, to some degree? I mean, I've been to Christmas Village, but you remember the story. The island of misfit toys were toys that you know, had some imperfection or blemish actually all wound up together on the same island. Well, you know, through another lens, that could be Fairbanks, Alaska. Through another lens, I can tell you that is Seattle, Washington. Through another lens, I can tell you, pick a city, wherever you came from. There's no place on this earth that's perfect. That's the point. That's why Jesus, standing in front of the disciples, looks not out but looks up and says, Our Father. And then in case there's any question, he says, Who is in heaven? That's where we need to look. God identifies as children. We're called and chosen by God. We are sealed by his Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been given to us. And we are sons, according to Galatians 4, sons and daughters. We are his children. That's God's mark of identification. There's one last. God identifies his son, he identifies his children, and he identifies his church. Let me tell you how he does that. He identifies his church by its foundation. That's Jesus, the cornerstone. 1 Peter 2, verses 6 and 7 says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame to you who believe this stone is precious jesus is the cornerstone out here in the lobby uh, you might have noticed especially if you're a chess player like i am there's a very attractive glass chess set i love it like i was there early this morning before services started and I, i like to just sit and look at that set the other chess set that's here in the Fairbanks area that I've seen several times, and I'm going to go back and see it sometime in the next couple of months, but it's the one that's carved out of ice at the Ice uh, Museum, I guess it's called now. It used to be a hotel. Uh, those pieces are astounding. Some of them are as tall or taller than I am, and it's just an amazing work of art. But it always reminds me about the central factor of the game of chess, and it's this. It's all about the king. If you give up the king in the game of chess, it's over. It's called checkmate. And at that point, if, if it's your king, and your king is in checkmate, there are no more moves. There's no more game. You can start a new one. Uh, 
Or you can do what I watched someone do uh, in a chess tournament one time. He looked across the table at me and said, you ever seen Bailey's Gambit? And I, and I said, no, I haven't actually. And he was losing. And he said, watch. It flipped the edge of the chessboard. Pieces went everywhere. There's no other way to get out of that situation than, than to admit that it's over. Because the king is the essence. And so it is with Jesus. It's all about the king. It's all about him. And it's this simple. I mean, we, like Curly said in City Slickers, it's just one thing. You remember that scene? Just one thing. For the church, that one thing is to be the children of God and to share that news, to know him and to make him known. That's our one job, is to be witnesses of who Christ is. And so I want to challenge you to that. In fact, first let me commend you to that because Journey has been a church that's been invested and inviting and reaching out to those far from God ever since it began 18 years ago, and you're not, you're not done yet. There's, there's more to do. And I could introduce you to people and churches uh, in places that you've never been, may never get to meet, uh, but places where Journey Christian Church and your financial support, your prayers, your efforts, uh, your pastor and, and some of the, his leadership, those things continue to, be, to advance the gospel. Great stuff. So proud to be a part of it. But God identifies his church. We are his the, the word in the Greek language for church is ekklesia, and it literally means people who are called out of the general population. It, it was originally used as a military term designating those who had, who had agreed to serve in the military in Roman culture. They had been called out of the ranks of community, and they had a special purpose. God's called you and I out of the world, and he set his seal of his spirit on us and... Uh, now he lives in us and leads us. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone's in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. Want to start something new? Start it here. Start it today. Be that person that God's calling you to be. Give up your life. And instead of looking in the mirror, instead of looking at the plane of this world, look up. Our Father, Jesus says, that's the identity that we have in Christ. It's institutions, the church's institutions. We celebrated one of those this morning together in communion. Uh, as we took that little piece of bread and took a cup, it represents the broken body and the shed blood of Christ. That identifies us as unique people. The experience of baptism sets you apart as a believer. You, someone who's buried their life with Christ and been raised to walk in a new life and a new direction. So our institutions, the leadership of the church, uh, we have pastors and elders and deacons and servants, uh, and together we are, we are working and serving, glorifying God. That's what distinguishes us as a church. Here's an interesting fact. The church is the only institution that exists for the benefit of people who don't belong. You ever thought about that? See, Journey Christian Church, the reason it was established is for the, sake, the benefit of people who didn't yet attend. Some of you now, 18 years later, are some of those folks. I talked to a few of you. Someone's been here a year. Someone else talked to me this morning. You've been here about eight. Uh, some of you have raised your hands and you've been here since uh, 18 years. 
That's a wonderful thing. And that's why new churches are needed. That's why Journey Church continues on in its one work. And there's, and there's work yet to be done. But it's because of our identity in Christ. It's our identity as God's church. It's our purpose. And it's what God has called you and I to do and to be. To know him and to make him known. I'm going to close this morning with a prayer. I invite you to pray with me. And then our worship team is going to come and close in a final song. And let me make the invitation at the end of this service. If God stirred your heart here today. Please come, come to the front. There'll be elders and others who are here who could pray with you, who can encourage you. Uh, Jeff with the Next Steps kiosk out in the front is poised and ready. He already walked me through it this morning. He's got uh, opportunities and ways you can grow as a new believer in Christ and help you with what's that next step God's calling you to. We're here to help you know and grow in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for this church, for these people, especially Jesus. We thank you for your son, for his power, and for his grace, for his willingness to die on Calvary for our sakes. And this morning, as we come to a close in our service, God, we commit ourselves to continuing to follow you, and we ask on behalf of those who are just one step behind us, that you'll encourage us to reach out to them, to draw them closer to you, and to help them to know Jesus as we know him. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.